All right, so a new series starts today. So grab your Bibles, flip them open, whatever, to the book of James. James. Jimbo. So here, here's the question. Why are we going to James? Well, part of it is selfish for me because I've been wrestling lately with this tension of the sovereignty of God, meaning God is in control of everything, but human responsibility at the same time. And most of my life, I've been laser focused in on the sovereignty of God. And lately, I've been laser focused in on human responsibility. Like, what do we need to do with our life? In light of who God is, what he has done, we're saying we believe this is true. And if we do that, how then should we live? And so what, what my prayer is, is that today would mark the day where we take this faith that we've been saying we believe to be true in our minds and it would penetrate our hearts and it would pulsate in our hearts and it would rush blood to our hands and our feet so much so that it informs absolutely every single thing we do in our life. It's a life that screams, not by your words, but by your actions, that you believe something to be true. And everybody believes something to be true, whatever that is. And that ultimate belief informs every bit of the way we live. So the question that James is going to press in on us is, does your life really reflect that you believe all this to be true. Because if it doesn't, then there's a disconnect, there's a problem. And so the image in this series is going to be of an awakening. Where there's a dead man on the ground, lifeless. And then these words are spoken into his ear. They're like magic words in a way. I mean, they give life to him. So, so his, his heart starts pumping, his mind starts working, and his eyes open up. And he steps up to his feet and he looks at his hands like he's never seen them before and he looks out into the world and he begins to live in such a way that the words that were said in his ear inform everything that he does and so what james is telling us in this book is that there are far too many people who say they believe that christianity is true but they look like a dead man there's no fruit in their life and their actions in their presence seem to be that of a dead man, yet they're claiming to be alive. In other words, you ought to be able to see what you say you believe to be true in your life. Like, if you believe this to be true, then someone should look at your life and be able to say, that makes sense. So, let me say this a few other ways. So here's what James is saying. We are saved by faith alone. That's the first song, the first song that we sang, said we're saved by grace alone. We're saved by faith alone. But then James says, but that faith should not remain alone. That your salvation ought to be accompanied with works if you're really alive. There should be fruit. Or, let me say it this way, salvation is experienced by faith alone, but it is recognized by your fruit. And James is focusing in on the recognition. He's like, okay, all, most of the writers in the New Testament, they're, like, they're spending half of their time saying, here is the good news, and now here's how you live. And James is like, let's just get to how you should be living right now. He just jumps right into it. Another way to say it is that the Christian has found a truth, but that truth is not abstract. It's not far off. It's not distant. It is very real to them, and they have experienced it in a very subjective way, like a real way. It's their own experience. So that's why we're calling it awakening, because you've been come alive. 
And it's an important reality also to, for you to know that this awakening that produces life, like this change that's going to happen in you, this fruit, it takes time. And you'll probably notice in your life that there are periods where you can look back at it and say, that was a time where I was growing like crazy. Well, what James is doing is he's giving us what we need in order to put our maturity into hyperdrive. He's, he's pressing in on us and he's saying, like, grow up a bit. And here's what it looks like. He's helping us. So here's what we're going to see. All the way through the series, he's helping us become people who are strong in the midst of difficulties. He's helping us become people who aren't so phony. Like, we're not trying to put this image out to the world. We're real, like, we're saying, this is now who I am. And we're not pretending to be what the world wants us to be. But we're letting the world see who we really are. And he's going to show us that every single day that you enter into a battle, and it's the battle in the Colosseum of faith every single day. And he's going to teach us how to endure so that we look back at the, we come to the end of our life and we look back at it and we kind of like take a breath and smile and we say that was a life well lived. And I'm going to be honest with you, I have a hard time looking at the end of my day, looking back at my day and saying, oh, I did good today. It was better than the day it was before. And so we need this book bad because I just want us to be able to look at this book and then at the end, like make decisions today and then tomorrow and the next day that are a bit better and more reflective of what we believe so that at the end of our life, we could say that was a life well lived. And it's a pretty tragic ending when you look at the end of your life and you say, ah, man, I could have done it better. And we're going to say that to some degree, but like each day better than the next. So Here's a summary of today. The person with genuine faith has been awoken to this new, well, they've been awakened, and it's turned them into somebody that has an aim. They live for something. They've actually made themselves a slave to something. And that thing that they've made themselves a slave to has awoken them, and now they wake up and they look around and they say, this is not my home. This world is not where I belong. And then they live in a way that's different. Okay, so here we go. James 1, verses 1 and 2, two, two half of 2. James 1, 1 and half of 2. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when dot, dot, dot. All right. So James calls every Christian as someone who's part of the 12 tribes. Now, what in the world does he mean by saying that? Well, it's actually amazing what he's saying. And if you would have been, if you focused on our last series, Genesis, you'd know we ended talking about these 12 tribes. And what he says is each and every Christian now is part of these 12 tribes. It's amazing what he's doing here. He's taking us back and he's saying, hey, remember Jacob? Jacob wrestled with God. And his name was then changed to Israel, which means wrestles with God. Sound familiar? And he was awoken when he wrestled with God. And then what God says is all your sons, the 12 sons of Israel, they're going to take on this name Israel. That's going to be their identity, which means God's people, how they're going to be defined as people who wrestle with God. And then James is saying that's every Christian. 
meaning every single one of you, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, it means you have had this ceremony where you have gone out and you have wrestled with God. Every single Christian. If you want to be a Christian, you just have, there's one thing you have to do. You have to find the one who's the greatest, the one who's created all things, the one who holds everything together, the one who holds the cells in your body together. You got to go find him and you got to wrestle with him. That's all. No big deal. And then it's at this wrestling that you become awakened. But it's not just that you're awakened, it's how you see him. You see him as a shepherd. The shepherd king of the cosmos. That's how Jacob saw him. Jacob wrestled with him and he knew it because Jacob was a shepherd himself and he could see what he was like. He was like a shepherd. And so now we see today Jesus is called the good shepherd. That's what James is teaching us. And he's the wrestling king of the cosmos. And then he tells us this. He tells this story, Jesus does, about this initiation ceremony where we wrestle with God. And here's how he describes it. There's a hundred sheep. There's one sheep that leaves the rest of the 99 and he goes out and he gets lost. He leaves them. Now, I didn't see this before and it's almost scary to tell you, but here's the thing. Every Christian, that means, was the one, which means every single Christian, and this is hard for me to say as a pastor, because pastor means shepherd, which means, well... It means this, you got to go get lost. You got to go out. Like, you, you know why? Because you're in the safe little fold. And you never get to discover the shepherd. Because all the other sheep are all around you. And they're not letting you get access to the shepherd. You're actually staying safe in the center of the fold. And until you leave, you'll never know what it's like to be rescued. Which means that you have to go get lost. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it, well, you have to go do it. Because it's then when you go do it that you actually meet the shepherd the way you're meant to meet him. The Christian is a Christian because they say about themselves, I've been rescued. I mean, that's the mark of a Christian. Someone has been rescued. And if you don't go get lost, then you don't become rescued. And here's what it's getting at. You have to rebel from the masses. You have to rebel from your culture. You have to rebel from what your parents have been teaching you to a degree. I mean, you'll see what I mean as we go. It, you have to go in and have, a, have an adventure. Otherwise, you'll never understand what it means to be rescued. And here's what I mean by this. You have to make your faith your own. It can't be your parents' faith. It can't be your culture's faith because your culture is screaming at you something that you should believe to be true. Your culture is demanding you to live a certain way. You have to go, you, like you have to let all of those things go. You have to abandon them, but you have to wrestle with them. Like you take all these things that you've learned and you place them before you and you go out and you wrestle with those things. You kind of abandon them, but you look at them with Christ and you wrestle through all these truths. And, I mean, this is it. I mean, you're wrestling with truth here. And there's a great debate today. Not a political debate, though. It's probably political. But is there such thing as absolute truth? Or does each and every person discover their own truth? What's the answer? Well, it's a bit of both. Here's what I mean. There is absolute truth. 
So I, I had this friend uh, who's, a, who's a lawyer. He's a good debater. So we had this debate. And I said, there's absolute truth. And he said, no, there's not. And I said, yes, there is. And he says, no, there's not. I mean, it was a little bit more complex of an argument than that. But that's essentially what happened. And then I said, are you absolutely sure that there's no such thing as absolute truth? And he says, yes, I am absolutely sure there's no such thing as absolute truth. And I looked at him. And he realized what he did. He said, it is absolutely true that there's no such thing as absolute truth. And I smiled at him, and he realized what he did, and then the argument was over. He had nothing left to say. However, while, the, while it is true that there is absolute truth, that absolute truth must be discovered in a very personal way. It must be subjective. There's an objective truth, but you must discover it in a very subjective way. It must become real to you, not just some idea that's far off. That's what James is getting at. And until you go off and wrestle with this truth, have this encounter with truth, until that happens, you remain dead, according to the Bible. You're there, laying there lifeless. And that's what this wrestling ceremony is all about. You have to go be the one sheep that goes out to have this adventure to find truth in a real way. Now, we're going to see this next week, that life has a way of forcing you out to go wrestle with truth. But at the same time, it's very easy to ignore truth. And it's really easy to turn your face away from it. And it's very easy to hide in the masses of the sheep. And you sit there in the middle and you never really have to deal with truth. You just hear what everybody's telling you is true, what your culture's telling you is true, what your parents are telling you is true, what the church is telling you is true, what everybody is telling you is true. And you know what? You could stay really safe right there in the center. And by doing that, you never actually have to deal with these things. You never have to think about these things. And then you never end up actually having a real encounter with the shepherd. You only see him at a distance. You look over the other sheep and you can see him from far away, but that's not really an encounter because you're meant to get up close and personal with him. Now, here's the thing. John, in the book of John, well, he is the ultimate truth. The, the wrestling shepherd of the cosmos is the truth. Now watch this. In the book of John, John 1, John describes Jesus as the logos, which is a Greek word, and it's packed with meaning, but one way to understand it is that the logos is the meaning of life. I mean, so listen to what that's saying. That's saying that Jesus himself is the very meaning of life. He's the aim. He's the thing you need to be going after. And then, later on in John, Jesus calls himself the way and the truth and the life, which means that you don't discover truth in some abstract way, but the truth is a person, and it is Christ, and he is the very meaning of life, and he's the one that you are aiming at. So you have to go wrestle with him. And until you do, your life will feel dull, it will feel meaningless, because he is the very meaning of life, and if you don't find him, well, and you're going to be drained of meaning. You're not going to have a reason to want to wake up in the morning because you have no meaning in your life. There's no substance. So you got to go wrestle with him. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, come on, bring it on, and let's go wrestle this out. Now, there's a lot of people who know tons about Christianity. Tons of facts, tons of information. They know the Bible really, really well, objectively. 
but they've never encountered the king. And because of it, they've never truly come alive. They've never had this awakening. And here's what you do. I mean, you have to go to him and you have to argue it out a bit. You have to tell him, like, what you're mad about. Like, go talk to him about it. And you've got to see what it feels like to be chased. Like, he's the shepherd. His job is to chase you down. You have to feel what it feels like for him to come after you, to pursue you, to want you, to love you, to love you so much that he's died for you on the cross. Not in some abstract way, but very real. He's done it for you. To feel what it feels like that he's risen from the grave, that he's coming back for you. And he's inviting you all into all, all of this. In Isaiah, it says, God says, come, let us reason it out. You know, you know what you've got to do? You've got to go tell God all the ways that you're unhappy about the way your life turned out. And you've got to wrestle it out with him. That's what Job does. So, so Job is this amazing guy. He's a great man. He's lived a great life. And then everything falls apart, not because of what he's done. And when everything falls apart, he responds in a good way. But we see throughout the story of Job that there are points where he's actually like letting God have it. Like he's angry and he's letting God have it. And to God, it seems like it's a good thing. It's not that what Job said about God was right. It's that God, it was right for him to go and wrestle it out with God. It's better to do that than to sit there and do nothing. So what keeps people from doing it? Well, they're scared to leave the sheepfold. They're scared to go out into the unknown. They're scared that everything that they thought was true might not actually be true. They don't want their life to get turned upside down, and that's what Jesus keeps doing to us over and over and over again. He's turning our life upside down. He's wrecking it in order to build something better than what was already there. Or perhaps somebody has grown up in the church their whole life. And they've been told what is true, but they've never discovered it. But they're terrified that if they really go investigate, they might not believe it's true. And it's going to mess with them forever. And so they don't want to even look. Or they're scared simply to be alone, which makes sense. I mean, they've been protected their whole life by all the other sheep, by their parents, by the culture, by whatever has just kept them in a very... (laughs) Okay, so I have, I have a, a thought about my generation of parents. And my thought is that we are raising up very overprotected kids. Like we are really shielding them from everything. And I'm just like thinking like, okay, in 15 years from now, like if there's a war, our kids are going to be, I know you don't want to think about that, but if 15 years from now there's a war, our kids are going to be out there and then people are going to be shooting at them. They're going to look back and be like, hey, there's somebody shooting at us. Somebody needs to do something. And the answer is yes, you do. And so what we have to do, we've we got to find this balance. Yes, keep your kids safe. Like, but also, we've got to teach them to be brave and we've got to teach them to wrestle with things like truth. And we've got to teach them like not just what to think, but how to think. Because as soon as they get out into the world, it's going to like throw them all these new ways of thinking. And they have to know how to process this stuff. And that's what going out is about. So, there's a, there's a story, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. And he, he works for Time Magazine, and he's in charge of the pictures that go on the front cover of the magazine. And he's always looking at other people's adventures. 
In fact, he has this secret life where he's in conversation with someone and then he'll stare off and he'll have his own little made-up adventure in his mind. But then something horrible happens. He loses the picture that's supposed to go on the front cover of Time magazine and it's going to be the last cover in print. And so what happens? Well, he has to go have his own adventure. And it's the same thing that's true for you. You have to get out and go and discover the world of Christianity, not just read about it in the Bible. Yes, read your Bible. I mean, come on, read the Bible, but eventually you have to live out what the Bible is saying. You know, the Bible is a story. It's a story, and it's not just a story that you're supposed to read at a distance. You're supposed to enter into it. You're supposed to be swept up into it. You can't just sit there and read the Bible and just call it a day. Like, there's stuff for you to go do. There's an adventure for you to go have. There's a responsibility that you have to take up. All right, so what does that mean? Well, I'm not saying leave the church, and I'm not saying do a bunch of dumb things. I'm saying be stripped of everything that you have thought was true and go out. And take those things and don't dismiss them but wrestle with them. But don't, he is the truth. And so if you take a bunch of stuff and you're trying to figure out, is this true? You, if he is the truth, that means if you're going to wrestle the right way, you got to go out and you got to meet him. And he is going to wrestle with you because he is the very truth. And you're saying, oh, I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life. What do I do? You go wrestle with the meaning of life. Who is Christ? The logos. You got to go out and meet him and you got to go in a way naked. Like you can take everything that you've learned and bring it there. Like, I'm not saying that your parents are foolish. Maybe they are. I don't know. But the only way to figure it out is to go wrestle with this stuff. And then you're going to discover that he's rescued you, that he's pursued you, that he's chased you down, that he is the very meaning of life, that he's the reason you ought to be living for, like, he's the one you live for. And then you wrestle with this. Okay, he came for me. He died for me. He rose for me. He's returning to make all things right. Somehow he's good, but they're suffering. All of this stuff... You didn't believe one of the, if any of the stuff I said or one of the things I said, you don't believe it to be true, go wrestle with him. You're not going to know him unless you do it. You're going to stand in the safe center of the sheepfold. And you're going to be protected by the sheep, but never by the shepherd, which means you never meet the shepherd because you've never been rescued by him. Because when you're rescued with him, you get up close and personal with him. And after you wrestle with him, who is the truth and who is the very meaning of life, after you do that, you, you see something in him and you give yourself fully to him. And you say, I am yours. Like, tell me what to do with this life that you've given me. And you make yourself a slave to him. But not a slave in the way we think about as modern slavery. So back, the ancient people, when they talked about slavery, they talked about it as being a bondservant. Meaning, you look at your life and you look at this person who could be your master and you say, I'm going to make myself a bondservant to you, a slave to you, because my life will be better if I'm a slave to you and I'll be more free if I'm a slave to you than if I don't do that. So this is our second point. We awaken as servants. So James calls himself a servant of God. In the Lord Jesus. In the way other writers in the New Testament have described themselves, like they've given themselves a title, and what's the title they've given themselves? A slave to Christ or servant of Christ. Paul does it in Romans, in Philippians, in 
Titus, and Peter does it in one of his letters, and Jude does it in his letter. What have these guys found out? These are the devout people of the faith. And Christianity is characterized as being a religion where people are free. So what have they found out by them calling themselves servants? I mean, what's the thinking behind this? Well, here's what they've discovered. That by making themselves a slave to Christ, they are more free than they've ever been before. We're all a slave to something. Maybe you're saying, no, I am free. I'm a slave to nothing. I chase freedom completely. Well, if you do that, you're a slave to your freedom. Let me show you what I mean. You chase freedom as number one. Well, guess what happens? You get married. You're a slave to your marriage. I mean, it, it's true. This is, you have devoted yourself to this person. And then they might want to do something that you don't want to do. Or they might go through something difficult. Well, you've got to be there for them. You've got a responsibility to them. You're not feeling so free anymore. If you're only chasing freedom, or you have kids, well, you know you're a slave to your kids if you have kids, or your job, your employer wants something from you. Well, now you're kind of a slave to your employer or your friends. Man, our friends need stuff from us. So what are you going to do? Are you going to bail? You're going to leave all your responsibility behind, and you're going to go chase what? Chase freedom, and then what you're, what you're going to do is you're going to find yourself on an island alone, and you're going to say, ah, oh, Paradise. And the next day, you're going to wake up, and your belly's going to growl. You say, oh, I'm hungry. And another day is going to go by because like, you're free. There's nothing for you to do. And you're going to get even more hungry. And you say, okay, i got to start hunting. And i got to find out how to get some water. And i got to fish. And the next thing you know, you're working so hard to, to just quench your hunger that now you're a slave to your hunger, and you're a slave to this island, and all you want to do is get off of the island. You can't escape it. The key is... Making yourself a slave to the thing that you are made for, and that thing will finally give you freedom. The fish is a slave to water, but most free in the water. The bird is a slave to the air, but most free in the air. The runner is a slave to the track, training day after day, but looks most free when he or she is running. The car is a slave to the road, made for the road, but it looks most free on the road because it is doing the thing it was made to do. The key to life is finding the one that you are made for and making yourself a slave to that one. Now, you might say, well, maybe it's like a job or a way of thinking. Is that what I make myself a slave to? No. You make yourself a slave to the very meaning of life, the very truth of life, and that makes the most sense. You make yourself a slave to something else, and you're emptied of truth, and you're emptied of meaning. James and the other writers of the New Testament are saying they've discovered something. If you will make yourself a slave to Christ, you will feel this is not your home. You are a traveler. James says, this is our third point, awakened in a foreign land. He says, the 12 tribes of the dispersion. Dispersion means to be scattered out. They're dispersed. They're not in their homeland. The Christian wakes up to realize, this is not my home. They wake up with desires for something greater, something more. This world is not enough. They have desires. This world is not satisfying. Why? Because you aren't home. 
So the Israelites, they're enslaved to the Egyptians, and they are freed. You know what? They didn't arrive at the promised land. God's like, I got this great plan for your life. Great and wonderful plan. I'm going to rescue you. And immediately I'm throwing you right into the desert, into the wilderness, as a homeless wanderer. What's he doing? Well, this is life. This is life in this world. He's describing for us what life is like in this world. The New Testament over and over and over calls the Christian an exile. But not lost. Not all those who wander are lost. So, here's what the Israelites did. They got freed, and you know the first thing that they did? They looked forward at the promised land, and they looked back at their slavery, and they said, I want to go back to being a slave. Because at least I knew what to expect. At least I knew what my life was going to be like. At least I didn't have to wander out into the unknown. In fact, I'd rather be back as a slave than be free out in the desert. And there you have it. This is what we all do. We become a Christian. Oh, this freedom. And then, it's man, it's way more comfortable. It's way more controlled for us to just become slaves of the things of this world. And so we do it. And it's not just that. Look, so you become a Christian. You've gone out and you've wrestled with God. And you've discovered him. The shepherd king. But now look. You're being called to go out into the, again, into the unknown, into the wilderness, as an exile, into a foreign land. And it's important that you take this stage in the journey. See, because this is what happens. The Christian becomes a Christian. And they had this intimacy with God at first. And then you, you see this thing happen to people. It's so tragic when it happens. They start losing this love for God and this intimacy with God and this joy that comes from God. Well, why have they lost it? Well, because they've made themselves a master to something of this world because they don't want to go out into the wilderness. And that's where he is. It's where he's calling you. It's time to go discover another truth about him. Something that you didn't know, that you keep hearing other Christians talk about, and you're like, well, I don't really know what that means, but I'm just not going to think about it. What? This is the king of the cosmos who's come to rescue you, and you're just going to dismiss it and not go think about, like, who he is and what he's done for you? You keep hearing somebody say something about Jesus, and and here's here's the value of the tribe. Here's the value of what James calls us as the 12 tribes of the dispersion. Our tribe challenges us to have this new set of thinking that we have not yet discovered. Now, the tribe can't make us discover it. We have to go out and make that discovery and have this wrestling match again. See, because, look, you were made alive in Christ, and you know you know you've made alive, but you're starting to feel more dead, and the reason you're starting to feel more dead again is because you have to go and have another wrestling match. You know, God, you have to go out in the chaos, so God creates the world, and, there's, and, and he makes it chaotic at first. And then he brings order, and that order brings life. And so you go out into the chaos. Your life feels chaotic anyways. You go out into the chaos, and then what do you do? Well, you wrestle with the shepherd, and as you wrestle with him, he starts bringing order and making sense of the world, and then you're transformed, and you become more alive than you were before when you didn't, because you, you, know, you were scared to go, and now you're going, and you're feeling more alive because you just went into the chaos. Bless you. See, 
You think faith is having a nice little controlled environment, like coming here to church. Look how controlled we are. None of you are talking while I'm talking. I mean, this is so controlled. And this is good. Like, this is a good thing. You should be here. This is good. But this is just part of the transformation that happens. You take everything that you, you learned here. It's the tribe. Like, we're the tribe. And then you go and work it out in your life. And you wrestle with it. See, we tend to think of our life as a nice little controlled science experiment. And God does not want that. He wants you to go out on an, an adventure. He wants you to go on a quest to go find truth. He wants an uncontrolled test where the unpredictability of life is the perfect environment for you to grow. And then, look, you know, we've got James here talking to us. And thank God for James. And he comes to us as a guide. And he says, look, this is truth. He's helping us go out and wrestle with the shepherd king of the cosmos. Now, we're getting into a little uncontrolled environment now because something's happening outside and you guys are all looking out there. Come back up to me. Look, James is being a guide and we're called to do the same thing. You know what James is doing? He's kicking you out into the wilderness. He's kicking you out to go have this wrestling match and some of you guys need to do that with each other. This is what Jesus does at the end of his life. He's meeting with his disciples and he says you know what's next for you i'm leaving and you're going to go out into all the nations and make disciples go into the wilderness go and find the lost sheep and tell them to have this wrestling match with me but then he says but i'm with you he's not with them but he's with them and here's the thing so make disciples what does that mean well you're, you're just introducing people to the shepherd now look 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 People are going to walk in, you're going to, you just focus on me, okay? This part's very important. Some of you are not experiencing God right now. You've been a Christian for a long time, and you're not experiencing him. And the reason is because you aren't seeking to make disciples. He says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. But what are you doing that he's with you? You're going to make disciples. And so if you're sitting in this nice little controlled environment... And not going out. He's out there waiting for you. You're not encountering him because he's out there. And you're waiting for him to come to you. And he's saying, no, come on. There's other people. You need to tell them about me and help them have this wrestling match. You've got to be a guide to them. It's in the wilderness where you really meet him. And he's out there still. He's like, let's go out there for the adventure. And help people discover him. He's out there gathering the orphans, the lost sheep, the rebels, the skeptics, the runners, the criminals. And, and, and to a degree, you're already with those people, but like, even the people, like, don't be a pew warmer. Like, we got to kick each other out of here to go have the adventure. This is like the rally place. This is where we're like, we're encouraged, we discover the truth, we're challenged with the truth, and we say, oh, and then we go and we discover it out there. And it's out in the wild that you make another discovery. That this shepherd is actually your long-lost older brother. So James, in verse 2, calls us brothers. Now, ladies, don't get offended by this. This is a beautifully theological statement. It's magnificent. What he's doing is he's connecting us with the 12 tribes of Israel, but he's also doing something else. In this time, in ancient cultures, there were sons 
And the firstborn son got the double portion of the inheritance. Sometimes he got all of it, and all the rest of the kids are just like, good luck. Well, that doesn't happen with a Christian. Jesus is like trying to describe this to us. So there's another story that Jesus tells about the prodigal son. And the prodigal son is meant to be connected to this story about the sheep, the one sheep that leaves. And here's how it goes. So he tells this story, and here's what he says. There's two, there's two brothers. Come on, come on, come on, come back to me, back to me. There's two brothers, and one brother leaves. He says to his father, look, I know I got an inheritance coming to me. Just give it to me now. I want you dead. I don't care about you. I just want to get out of here. So he gives him the money, and he goes. And when he goes, he loses everything. And then he comes back home, and he's like, how am I going to get back in? Well, his father doesn't even give him a chance. He just welcomes him back. Your love. So he's brought in, and then the older brother is mad. I mean, he is mad. Do you know why he's mad? Because for his younger brother to be fully restored, that, and who has lost his own inheritance, in order for him to be fully restored, he's got to get an inheritance again. Guess who that's coming from? The older brother. So the older brother's mad about it. And his father comes out to get him. And he's like, hey, we're having a party. Your younger, son, your younger brother is here. He says, I don't care about that. And then he says this to his father. All these years, I've been slaving for you. He never saw, he never felt like he was free. Never. Never. There's a police officer out there. That's cool. Okay, so everybody wants to know what's going on. They drove away. Everything's happy. It's an uncontrolled environment out there. All is good. He took a picture? Okay. Come back to me now. All right. You don't have an older brother like that. Let me tell you about your older brother. See, well... Every one of you, when you go out and you have that wrestling match with Christ, here's what happens. He pins you down, holds you there, and he looks deep in your eyes, and he says, hello, my long-lost brother, it's time to come home. And when he says it to you, something happens, something awakens in you, and you start realizing, this is, like, there's something to this, Something about this world doesn't feel like your home and something starts beating around in your mind and your heart and a distant memory starts making you remember who you really are. And then he embraces you. He lifts you up, puts you on green pastures and he says, let me tell you a story of how I got you back. He said, you ran and I chased after you, but you kept going. And you fell all the way into death. I mean, the darkest place. And I even followed you there. And when I got there, I looked around for life, but there was nothing. There was nothing that I could take life from and give it to you. So I knew, the only thing I found was myself. And so he said, so there in death, I drained myself of life so that you could then live. But he said, but that wasn't enough because you had to live forever with me. And so I took life back and you by faith have been united to me and I'm not letting you go, which means the life that is in me will always be pulsating in you. And then so your eyes have awakened and he said, now go and live the life that you've meant to live. This is what James is trying to get us to do. You've been awakened. Now 
every single bit of your life has been informed by that reality. And that's what we're going to work through with the rest of James. And so you, today, you wake up. You look around. You feel your hands and you say, okay, how shall I now live? And that's what James is going to be telling us for the rest of the series. Let me pray for us. God, we pray that you would awaken in us truth and meaning because we have wrestled with you the absolute truth, the ultimate truth, and the very meaning of life. And God, we pray that now we would be so compelled to do something crazy and to become your slave because we have found this truth that by making us, ourselves a slave to you, we are now free. And as we open up our eyes as free slaves, I pray that we would understand the world that we live in, that this is not our home. But we would go out into the wilderness anyways to make disciples and encounter you more again and again. So we ask you, Jesus, our big brother, to teach us and to help us to live lives that we can look back at the end of our at the end of our life we can look back at our life and we can say yep that was a well lived life i made tons of mistakes along the way but i found my shepherd and he taught me how to live and i i did it help us god in jesus name amen